Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hey, boys and girls been a minute since we've last chatted. I would have told y'all I was going on hiatus if I knew at the time. I just, I haven't felt like talking. Is that weird? I've been doing a lot of writing. If you follow me on my social media pages, you know that I've been churning out posts with the unusual frequency for me. Maybe I've just been in a writing mood because it's not like I haven't been sharing thoughts. I just didn't really feel like articulating them audibly. Hmm. Just to be transparent, you know, at 40, I decided to, I wouldn't necessarily say start over, but evolve into a new lane of writing. I'm a good writer. Like, I'm, I'm aware of this. I've been a good writer since I was a kid. I just had to hone a natural talent. This green writing is a new animal for me. It's just hard, harder than I expected it to be. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I've written books and magazines and blogs and captions. And I've been doing that since 2000. I've written thousands of, of articles or pieces, some form of writing content at this point. And it's just it just sort of rolls off. Screenwriting is very different. Sort of. The last five weeks of class, I've been working on what's called a beat sheet. So that's when you put together like the whole story. And it seems that I am not dramatic enough. I'm a journalist by trade. I report what I see. I write my life, you know, so I don't have to make stuff up. Like I'm around inherently funny people or inherently sarcastic people. Like the reason I decide like, oh, I think I'm going to write about this is because something has sparked an interest. And all I really have to do is regurgitate it in a way that is palatable to other people. I don't have to be funny. I just have to be in the presence of funny. I don't have to be witty. I have to just be in the presence of wit. Left to my own devices, like I got to make up the funny and the witty and the intrigue and the suspense. And it's just a lot. So my instructor has been ripping me every week, which is humbling. And, my, and he's a really good instructor. It's not like he's picking on me or he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like once he points out the flaws, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I, I understand better now. But... In general, it's just, it's been brutal. But back to my instructor. He is, or was, I don't know if he's still, he wrote for Snowfall, which is 
one of my favorite shows like ever. I love the way that story is crafted. And also Damson Idris and the actor who plays Ankh. But it's a really good show, and I want to be able to write at that caliber. And my instructor is clearly one of those people who is able to do that. He's good. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. I'm fully aware that I'm in a class in order to learn, but it's just I've never been behind the eight ball like this when it comes to writing. So it is a challenge. I moved on to actually writing the script, which is all dialogue. And lo and behold, as it would turn out, I'm like really, really, really good at dialogue. I'm also funny, which I was like, really? Like I'm like reading the script out loud in class and people are just howling. And the whole time I'm thinking, but that's not supposed to be funny. People were laughing like like it was witty and fun and good. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a good thing. So I've been in L.A. for, for the Oscars. It was always an in and out thing. I got flown into work. I worked and I went back. Pre-Oscar week in L.A. is kind of like CBC in D.C., Congressional Black Caucus. The room is half full of a bunch of people you recognize from TV and film. And then the other half are the directors, the screenwriters, the producers, all the behind the scenes people that make the content that you see on some form of screen happen. And other than like the official photographer of the event, no one's really all that interested in the celebrities. Everyone's trying to network with the behind the scenes people, including the celebrities to get their projects done. It's really interesting. I'm just there as like this random observer Fish out of water, first time at this big Oscar event. Very sexy, very glamorous. L.A. loves a good moment of glamour. But I'm standing there waiting to get in, and Damson Idris walks up. Damson Idris, who is the protagonist from Snowfall, Franklin Saint, in an early episode of the show, a woman describes him as being carved like an African statue. That's the most apt description of him Ever. But he walks up and he doesn't say a word. And I'd seen other celebrities come in and they had their handlers come up and negotiate back and forth. But Damson Andrews walks up. He's got no entourage. He has no handlers or people. And he just waits for someone to notice him. And eventually one of the young women with an iPad sees him and she's like, oh, hi. Yes. And so she turns to the bouncer and she says, yes, him, him. He can come in. He says thank you to the young lady. And he just glides his way into the party. Maybe like 10 minutes later, I finally get in. First thing I do is beeline to the bar for like red wine because like I'm stressed because I've been like stuck outside. Literally had to wait for the DJ to come out and get me. I'm living like a 23 year old. I'm standing at the bar and I look over. Michael B. Jordan is to my left was like all up in some black chick's face. And I was like, would you look at that? Love to see it. He does date black girls. To my left, Damson Idris. He's dressed like... Perfectly tailored black suit, white shirt, crisp, starched, like uh, amazing. He's leaning on the bar, so long and casual. He's got a glass of red wine perched next to him. He looks like a very expensive cologne ad or black bond. I could totally see him as 007 and he has a British accent. I was like, yes, yes. Somehow it never dawned on me to go speak to him. The other person I met, met, I keep saying met. (laughs) Amin Joseph he plays Unk on Snowfall and if you look closely and squint on Snowfall you can see his beauty the show is set in the 80s and he is wearing a jury curl for all three seasons the jury curl is very distracting it's it it deflects from him but to see him in person my god a god among mere mortals crafted on Mount Olympus. Gorgeous. So I essentially write all this stuff because I feel like if I've gone to this Hollywood event and I've been in a whole bunch of different rooms, when it comes to stuff like that, I'm very jaded, not easily impressed by anything. But in this moment, I was like, yo, this is crazy. 
Michael B. Jordan, Damson Idris, Amin Joseph, like all just sort of orbiting around in the same room. Like three of the finest men on the freaking planet are like a wine glass throw away. So I wrote about it on Instagram. I'm one of those people that thinks when and where I enter, my whole race enters with me. You know that quote, Anna Julia Cooper. I saw it. I was at Spelman to speak years ago. And I saw that quote and I scribbled it down in my notebook. And I wanted to tattoo it on myself for a really long time. And that wasn't even when I was in a dark place. I'm glad I didn't do that. I have it written on a little note card and taped to my wall. I think that's probably a more proper place for it for me. Anyway. So I share this story on Instagram because I'm just like, I was amused. I feel like other people who may not have been to this kind of event may also be amused. Post it. Everyone giggles about it. We have an amazing haha. A couple hours pass and people start hitting me up and they're like, oh my God, Damson Idris just tweeted you. He was very flattered. He said next time he see me, he would glide across the room, give me a warm hug. And he like finished his caption with a glass of red wine. Which I was like, oh, I can die now. Oh, really cute moment. The following morning, Amin Joseph comes in my comments, tags Damson Idris. It was like, yo, this was really dope. Feels good as a black man to hear a black woman, you know, speak positively about a black man. Really appreciate you. Tags Damson Idris is like, yo, we should send sis some wine. I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. I love these dudes. Then Amin Joseph slides in my DMs and was like, yo, Next time, speak. I was like, is it fucking weird I didn't speak? People in Hollywood speak. Like, they don't freak out. They don't ask to take pictures. But people in Hollywood speak. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, am I of the Hollywood now? Like, do I speak to people? I was having one of my marathon Sunday phone calls with my mom. And I said that. And she was like, haven't you been one of those for a while now? She's so amused at the fact that, like, I don't get it. I be writing stuff and saying stuff and it gets back to the people that I say it to. And like, I don't particularly care. I'm like mindful of the way I speak of others. But every time somebody was like, yeah, I saw what you wrote. Like, I appreciate or we have a dialogue about it. And I'm just like, really? You saw that? Okay. So that's life in a nutshell. And I'll be 110% honest with you. I really at this juncture want to be like, well, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Because all the other topics that everyone's been discussing and that I think that I'm supposed to discuss right now are just heavy. I'm just going to give you fair warning. I will probably not have my usual enthusiasm just because I have worked really hard to, as cliche as this sounds, protect my peace. I worked really hard to get a feeling of lightness in my spirit again. And in like the last three weeks, it just sort of seems that the pop culture conversation, entertainment, even politics, it's just been overwhelmingly negative. What's the word when you just give up hope? Nihilism. There we go. That's what it seems like. Like, I just been sort of like, where do we go from here? Last time I did a podcast was January 31st. So many, many, many things have happened since then. The most prominent of those probably being Gail King's interview with Lisa Leslie on CBS This Morning about Kobe Bryant's legacy. It was eight minutes, 10 minutes overall. The clip that CBS circulated, which... Typically, when they're promoting interviews, they promote the most salacious part. So this time it was Gail asking Lisa Leslie about Kobe Bryant's legacy and specifically the case in Colorado in which he was accused of rape. I really don't want to deep dive into that case right now. So Gail asked Lisa Leslie about the alleged rape or the rape accusations, better I should say. Lisa Leslie said, you know, y'all had all the years since it happened up until he passed to ask him about that. I don't think it's worth discussing. Something along those lines. Lisa went on to say that 
she didn't know Kobe to be, you know, violent. She didn't know him to be like the kind of guy that was sending her to help him meet women. She just didn't know him to be that dude. Gail follows up and she says, but would you know that as, you know, his, as his friend, his female friend, like, would you see that side of him? Many people who saw that clip thought Gail was dead ass wrong. The prevailing reason being that he hasn't been gone, but so long people are grieving very heavily. We haven't had our rituals to process the grief. So a lot of people were just, you know, just out here wild in their feelings. And they just thought Gail asking that question was just really disrespectful. And then it turned into Gail and Oprah are trying to bring down black men, which is so nonsensical. I'm not even going there. People just really didn't understand why Gail had to ask the question. Being a journalist, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the question. The follow up was a little weird. I'll explain that in a minute. But Kobe in Colorado was introduced into the national conversation on the day he passed. It was going to come up one way or another. But a Washington Post reporter, upon hearing that his helicopter had crashed, decided that was a good time to repost a story that detailed the allegations against him. The Washington Post temporarily suspended the reporter, which became more news. They reinstated her. So it was a news story again. Every major newspaper in the country published a story about how do we talk about Kobe's legacy in light of these allegations. There were a bunch of stories written, I think mostly by black women towards white women who were calling Kobe a rapist and just defining him as that and nothing else. So Rape, Colorado, accusations, accusers, all of that stuff was in the national conversation. And as a journalist with a national platform, no less, Gail had to ask the question. She has to. She would have been she would have not been doing her job not to ask the question where I did think that she. Didn't have to go Asked Lisa Leslie this question, she said, well, well, you know, you were his best friend. Did you, you know, see anything? And then Lisa talks about, you know, we'd go out and he'd never, you know, sent me out to the girls and he wasn't violent. Like I knew him really well. He would never do that. And then Gail follows up. I'm repeating myself, but I'm making this point. Gail follows up and says, would you know that as his friend? And I was like, if you didn't think that she could give you an answer with real perspective and insight, then why'd you ask her the question? Like you asked her the question and then you're discrediting her answer because seemingly she didn't answer the way that you wanted her to. You ask the woman her opinion and then when her opinion doesn't match what you think that she should have said, then you question whether her opinion or her insight is valid. If you didn't think her insight was valid, don't ask her the damn question. But that was me. That was my take on it. Some other rappers who I don't even recall has-ish to say. Um, the most vocal of them was Snoop. Snoop came out his whole face. Like, Snoop was unhappy. He was like, Gail, you should not have asked those questions. I thought it was disrespectful. This man was great, and you shouldn't be tarnishing his name. And then he pauses in the video, and he's like, should I do it? Should I do it? And I'm watching the video, and I was like, should he do what? What is he about to say? And then he just goes wild and is calling Gail just all out her name, dropping B-bombs. And I was like, are you serious right now? Which multiple people pointed out to me when I finally said something. I didn't comment on it for a while because I was like, people are just having visceral reactions and they're just running on pure emotion. You can't get through to people right now because they're just hurt. I'm not jumping in this to discuss the nuance of what Gail asked and how Snoop should have responded and, and any of that stuff, because I just don't feel like being piled on as a dumping ground for people who are in there, who are rightful in their emotions, but acting wild because of their emotions. My favorite show is The Wire. And one of my favorite quotes from The Wire is stop giving a fuck when it's not your turn. So there are times when I just be like, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out, y'all. Have a good conversation. Enjoy it without me. 
Every thought that I have does not need to be shared on the internet. Sometimes I just like to send a text to a friend. I like to call my mama and chat freely because I know that conversation ain't going beyond me and her. She ain't even going to tell my daddy about it because they don't even talk to each other about me. It's the weirdest thing. Snoop goes crazy and then people go crazy rallying behind Snoop. Gail gets death threats. Oprah has to go on TV and defend Gail. It's like Gail isn't sleeping. She had to hire personal security. Gail releases a, a video. Did she even have her face on? She had on her hair. I don't know if she had on her face. She's trying to explain herself. I didn't know CBS was going to release the clip. If I saw just that portion you did, I would be angry and upset too. Like it was a shit show. Susan Rice, former national security advisor under Obama. She jumps in telling Snoop to back the fuck off. She put the fucking asterisks. I mean, she kept it classy, but still I'm like, Susan Rice, Susan Rice is dropping F-bombs on the Twitters. It's a lot. Michael Eric Dyson jumped in, which I, I cannot quote Michael Eric Dyson. I would just have to run the whole clip. It's all of eight minutes. Every part of it is brilliant. I think he uploaded it on his Instagram page for IGTV. He just has this way of rapping academia and religion and pop culture, especially hip hop, all into this like mixture, gumbo-esque. It simmers and it bubbles and it's seasoned and it's just, it's magnificent and wonderful. And I'm just like, can I train my mind to work like that? Can I reach in this lifetime that level of genius? He's just a brilliant man. But if you have a, if you have the spare eight minutes in your life, which please make time, you should watch what he said about Snoop and Gail and the misogyny that is the underpinning of so much of black culture. Like he just breaks stuff down so beautifully and then ends it quoting Tupac. I love that man. I also still want to see his footage since I say things and it happens to reach the people that I'm talking about. Michael Eric Dyson, since we now know that you know how to use Instagram TV, can you upload some of that footage from Aretha's funeral? Because you were you were front row with no distractions. If you could just release some of that footage on your Instagram page, I would really appreciate it. I would like to um, I'd like to see that. Thank you. That's so off topic. And then Snoop ends up backing off, and he was like, you know, we're we're nonviolent. Oh, Mr. Murder is the case is nonviolent now. Okay. I was one of those people who was like, I can't believe Snoop said that shit. And people would say back to me and they were like, I can't believe you surprised that Snoop said that shit. Snoop made doggy style. And you're shocked that he called Gail King a bitch. Snoop spent like a good, I want to say decade, but let's go with five years. I'd rather under exaggerate than over five years is enough. But like being besties with Bishop Don Magic Wand, a proud pimp. This really should not be someone who I'm shocked called Gail King a bitch and all sorts of extra adjectives. I just won't even repeat it because it was so ugly. But I was like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't be surprised. And then I was like, but didn't Snoop make a gospel album? He's supposed to be on Red Table Talk this week. The, The clip that's circulating right now is Jada Pinkett Smith and Snoop sitting at the table dressed like somebody's father showing up at a parent teacher conference. And Jada was just like, you know, I heard what you said. And I was just like, Snoop, how could he? I was just, I was just devastated. And I was like, see, it wasn't just me. I don't know why I expected more from Snoop. I don't, and I shouldn't have. He really has given no great reason that I should have. That was my bad. OJ and Bill Cosby jumped into that conversation too. So Bill Cosby was tweeting from prison talking about he's in a gated community and I was like is that what we're calling prison now and then I was like how is he tweeting like do they have computers in prison I'm not even being funny I've never been to prison I don't I don't know what's what's allowed it's my understanding was that cell phones were contraband I mean but my whole prison understanding is like watching the wire and orange is the new black so then OJ was in the debate and he was like yeah Gail King is shady because I go visit Nicole's grave and Gail King was like, what in the world is OJ doing going to visit Nicole's grave? 
is he not aware that we all think he killed that lady? Why are you on the Twitters? Like, shouldn't you just be happy to be free? Because God has shined on that man. I'm not really sure why. That's not for me to question. But OJ Simpson's ass should be locked up for life. He totally killed that lady. People, when I say that now, people be like, how could you say that? How could you not? I can't. I just, I, I can't. No more. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home. And then there's a version of it where you have someone help you. You watch them do it the right way. And you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Power ended since we last spoke. I'm not going to give the spoiler of who actually killed Ghost. Just in case you didn't see it. I was actually a little, I wouldn't say emotional. A little bit. I've watched that show for like six seasons. I've complained about it incessantly for like the last three of them. But I tuned in like every episode. I have seen every episode of Power at least two times. I was like, oh, this is the last time we're going to hear Big Rich Town. I've invested in that show. I've invested time, years of my life into that show. So it's a little sad to see it go. But apparently it's not really going. Because at the end of Power, they were like, here are four spinoffs. Or was it five? Tyreek and Tasha get a spinoff with Method and Mary. And then Councilman Tate, or is he governor now? Whoever he is, he gets his own spinoff. There's a prequel about Ghost, Angie, and Tommy. And then there's another one. But yeah, I was like, oh, power's never really going to end. Somebody pointed out and they were like, yo, power is like the new law and order. They about to CSI and SVU and different cities. And I was like, oh, okay, get your coin, Courtney, get your coin. I like to see a black woman earning good coin. I don't know if I could write for power, but my mind is not diabolical like Shonda Rhimes and and Courtney Kemp. They just be on some next. I'm like, how do y'all come up with this shit? I'm looking at this list. I so don't want to talk about these people. Bobby and Cheryl. Did y'all watch or read? It wasn't a watch. You see how I said that? Did y'all read Humans of New York? Maybe the second week of February, they ran this 11-part series about a man named Bobby and his wife, Cheryl. And the story was Cheryl's at the house chilling one one morning. Bobby's still asleep because he works like two to three jobs. There's a knock at the door and it's the feds. 
the feds take her aside. They go to the back of the house where Bobby is sleeping. And they're just like, who are you? What's your name? He says, my name is Bobby Love. The feds were like, what's your name before that? He was like, "Uh uh-oh. So the feds escort him out. Cheryl Love, who's been married to Bobby Love for 40 years. It's actually more like 35. But Cheryl keeps saying 40 in the story. And for story's sake, I'm going to go with 40 years because it sounds better than 35. We're just going to round up. Cheryl's like, where are you taking my husband of 40 years? Bobby was like, this goes back, way back to like North Carolina. It might have been South Carolina. I can't remember and I'm not pulling it up right now. Back to the South. That's the point. So Cheryl's like, what? So then we jump to the backstory. The short version Bobby was involved in criminal activity. He had robbed a place. So this ain't like, oh, I was falsely accused. I was an innocent man. I didn't do no nefarious shit. Bobby did some nefarious shit when he was calling himself by the name his mama gave him. Bobby gets locked up for his nefarious shit. He's a good prisoner. He goes from being super watched to minimum security. He can wear regular clothes. He can go off site to work. So the prison bus is taking him off site to work in his regular clothes. And Bobby jumps out the bus and runs for freedom. He catches a bus, a train, something, makes his way north to New York and begins a different life. He renames himself as Bobby Love. He gets a job. And Bobby has lived some life. Bobby is like, I'm like in his 30s, his mid 30s at this point. He meets a young woman who is either in her late teens or early 20s, Cheryl. He decides Cheryl is a good person and he wants to live a different life from his criminal past. He's reinventing himself. So he is going to marry Cheryl and they are going to raise a family. They are going to have three or four kids. And after 40 years, he'd never tell Cheryl about his past. Cheryl only learns when the feds show up that day. It's fascinating, as long as it's from Bobby's perspective, about how he got involved in his life of crime, how he gets locked up, how he gets free, how he goes to church every Sunday, how he raises his kids, he's a family man, He doesn't commit any more crimes. It sounds all well and good. And then we get to Cheryl's part of the story. We had our good times. She says that. She says, I love my husband and he loves me. But three weeks before the feds showed up to get Bobby, Cheryl was in a church on her knees praying to God to change her husband because she just couldn't take it anymore. Cheryl begins to detail what being married to Bobby was like. They would get in arguments and he would just close himself off. She says, I would be pouring out to him and he would just shut down. Like I'm giving him everything and he's just not giving me anything emotionally. She says she felt like she walked on eggshells for 40 years. She said they had a great sex life. She said they went to the movies. They enjoyed moments. They had laughter. But... A lot of what she detailed sounded like a whole lot of suffering. Suffering is my word. Because I think that if you describe your life with your husband as not a lot of affection and not a lot of communication. Oh, at one point she says she she was like, I didn't know if he wanted to be with me. To me, that sounds like suffering. As it would turn out, Bobby gets picked up by the feds. All of the truth comes rolling out. Cheryl's completely embarrassed because nobody believes that she didn't know anything about her husband, that she had no clue he was lying. She was like, no, none, which actually makes sense to me. He met her when she was a young woman. He married her at 21. It doesn't say how long they were dating. For the last 40 years, you've been groomed to accept deception. She never really had a chance. Cheryl decides, I still love this man. 
I'm going to get him out of prison. She goes on a massive campaign that somehow involves President Obama to get Bobby out of prison. Lo and behold, it works. Bobby comes back to New York. Cheryl says, we're going to live a different life than the one we lived. I'm not walking on eggshells anymore. I'm going to have an equal say in my house. And now we're doing much better than we were all those previous years. The whole internet is riveted by this story. An enormous number of responses are like, I love their love, hashtag relationship goals. This is the kind of love story I want. And I was like, what? And look, far be it for me to judge anybody's love story. My thoughts are more, not necessarily about Bobby and Cheryl's choices, but more so how we're defining love and relationship goals. Your relationship goal is for your husband to lie to you for 40 years. And people are like, but they're so happy now. And I was like, good. Thankfully, she's happy now. But I was like, is this what we're, I'm not even worried about what we're telling our daughters. I'm worried about currently, what are we telling ourselves about expectations and love and what's acceptable? I'm glad that Cheryl's finally getting the love that she deserves and she feels like an equal partner in her relationship after walking on eggshells for 40 years and wondering if her husband loved her and being on bended knee, praying for God to change her husband. And people were like, but I mean, that's not that bad. Is it not? What are you experiencing in your life where being lied to is not that bad? And no judgment, no judgment. I'm genuinely asking, like, if the bar is being lied to for four decades is not that bad, what is your bare minimum? Like, where does your bar land when you're just like, okay, this is bad? Because that's like pretty fucking bad to me. And I was shocked by the number of people who were like, well, you know, he doesn't, he didn't owe her that truth. He didn't owe his wife the truth about who he really was. This woman changed her name to his. That wasn't even a legal name. And people were like, well, you know, in those times, men weren't emotionally available. So it's not like, you know, Cheryl was treated bad. Men being emotionally unavailable and our mothers, aunties, grandmas and great grandmas putting up with it didn't make life any easier for them. Like it wasn't okay then in the same way that it's not okay now. Just because more people did it didn't mean that the women were okay with it or the men. Bottling up all your emotions, I mean, just you doing it, that has an effect on you. That's not healthy for you. It also is not healthy for the people that you withhold your emotions from when they are your loved ones, especially your spouses. I just found the whole thing like very disturbing that a woman could say, I walked on eggshells for 40 years and people be like, that's not struggle. And not to say the humans of New York was pushing the narrative of this is a love story. I think they were just, we found some humans and this is their story. It was really just like, how are all these people in the comments calling this a love story? I don't know. I mean, maybe it is. There's all different types of ways to get to love. I think I'm just concerned that for very many of us, it seems that our love story includes having to struggle. And I would push back against that narrative and say that you don't have to struggle in order to be loved. Struggle with things that happen. Okay. Like people lose jobs, people get sick. Like, okay, that happens. But things you can avoid like lying, abuse, outside kids. Like it just seems to be men and women too can just act a whole fool on people at all or even for years. And then the person who stays and endures it somehow becomes worthy of being loved. And I'm like, are you not worthy of being loved just because you are? Do you have to withstand poor treatment? There's a type of woman who a guy can get another woman pregnant and that woman will stay for whatever reason she chooses to. Okay. But there's also another type of woman who's like, nah, but it seems we don't applaud that type of woman. We applaud the women who stay. It's not an easy choice either way, but it's just sort of like we applaud the struggle. It's, it's, we make it out to be noble for women, never for men. 
Men who put up with poor treatment from women are considered stupid and desperate. Women, we call them grandma. Gervonta, Gervonta, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this man's name right, and I really don't care. Gervonta, Gervonta Davis is a boxer. He's a little guy. Weighs like 150 pounds, maybe. Five, 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 six. Little guy, little man. He has a child with a woman. Don't recall her name. I don't know that it's necessary to this conversation as a victim survivor. He's at an event and he sees his child's mother. He walks up to the woman. She's sitting down and he yokes her up by her collar, maybe her throat. And then dog walks her to the exit of the arena. The video that's circulating isn't close up. So you can see all the hundreds of other people in the venue. No one comes to the woman's aid. People are looking around shocked. There's a couple kids, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, something like that, looking around in disbelief because even they know what they're seeing is wrong and not proper. But no one intervenes. No one says anything. The video is all over the internet. I saw it and was like, if he's not beating her black and blue yet, it's a matter of time. Most people, I would say, were outraged. Usually conversations about domestic violence, men be like, oh, that's a, that's a woman's issue. I'm not in that. This was one of the very first times where I've seen men be vocal like, nah, I've really never seen men speak out against domestic violence like that. There was some... I wonder what she said, but overwhelmingly, the comments I saw were men speaking out against it and women. There's always like some, a few though. And in this case, the comments I saw, I wouldn't say in support, but I would say the comments who were like, oh, it wasn't that bad or from a lot of women, which again, I ask, where is the bar? Like, Getting lied to for 40 years, that's acceptable. Getting yoked up in an event, not desired, but acceptable. A lot of women were just like, I mean, is it really the worst? Like, you know, you get yoked up, like these things happen. Actually, they may. There's a lot of domestic violence or interpart, interrelationship violence, interpartner violence, whatever they want to call it. DV is what I grew up with it being called. Like rape is very common. Like rape, it's underreported. So yeah, a lot of people might be getting yoked up. That shit's not okay. It's totally not okay. There was a, mindful of my words, when I criticize, I like to be, when possible, constructive. I don't want to just call people out just to call them out. Like I want there to be some sort of change or desired change or exchange of ideas and I'm mindful about the way that I approach issues and people so that when there is a concern or a question it can be received as opposed to you bark at folks or you call folks out and they immediately go on the defensive and so nothing gets accomplished so there was a woman a large following a few million she made a video that was joking about the woman who got yoked up. And she was like, yeah, I mean, everybody gets yoked up. Ain't nothing wrong for a little yokage. That's what she said. And I was like, sis. But like I casually slid into her DM and was like, hey, sis, a little concerned about the joke you're making about domestic violence. It's actually a really serious issue and it affects, like I dropped a stat or two. Maybe you're not aware. I inform myself of things like that, but everyone does not. So I was like, maybe you don't know, but here's some stats. I would ask you, not tell you, not chastise you, not demand. I would ask you to be mindful of what you say and your influence to others. Now that I did that. She responded back with a heart. That's it. And I'm positive I wasn't the only person that reached out to her. 
I'm not in any way implying that her taking the video down had anything to do with me or my note for whatever reason that she took the video down. I was glad that she was able to be reached and was receptive to a message and made a responsible, thoughtful choice. I would gather that the majority of her audience probably is black women. I'd hate for anyone in a messed up situation to think that other people don't take it seriously or to think that it's a joke or to not know that it's not okay or to not know that they deserve better than a dude laying hands on them. Like even if a guy isn't beating you, it's not okay to grab on you. It's not okay to scare you. It's not okay to threaten you. Again, I'm not always sure where the bar is anymore. It's not even on the ground. I think that bitch might be buried at this point. It's really scary. But when I talk about things like this, I'm becoming more mindful of how I reach people. The point is to encourage positive change, positive thinking, empowering behavior, behavior that is affirming. Some things are too serious to joke about. So last but not least, there is a new show on Netflix called Love is Blind. It is pure fuckery. The concept of the show, it's very married at first sight, but there's no sight. Hence the love is blind. So 15 men, 15 women go into respective houses. So all women in one house, all men in another house. And they have these pods set up in the house. So women into the pods on one side, men into the pods on another side, one person in each pod. And they have conversations with each other. And they decide within 10 days if they want to get engaged and then marry one of the people that they meet and communicate with in the pods. The idea is that physical attraction is not as important as communication. So you do all this talking with people, like you talk and talk and talk and you decide like this person is my person. And then you are so moved, the men, to propose. And then the women are so moved as to say yes to the proposal. It's... Many, 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 many things. I want to say like it's day four and it's like the first engagement. It's an interracial couple. The woman seems way more unsure about the interracial aspect, but it seems to be working. Everyone's rooting for that couple. Oh, the indecisive trick. I'm not going to say she has a drinking problem. I'm going to say she doesn't need to drink There's a scene where she's drinking wine and she gives some wine to the dog. The dog drinks out the wine glass and an old girl just sips the glass of wine after the dog. And I was like, what in the filth is happening here? You going to drink wine after the dog? The fuck is wrong with you people? And you know who I mean by you people. Because there are people and you know which people I mean. They wouldn't do that shit. Not in a million years. So one of the couples is a gentleman, gentleman, a man named Carlton and a woman named Diamond. Madame Diamond and Carlton hit it off despite all the communication that they have in these pods. Carlton says he's really feeling her, but she doesn't know his secret. Here with the group, Carlton, what is your secret? Carlton tells us. He doesn't tell Diamond, but he tells the viewer, he says, you know, my secret is at one point in my life, I was attracted to the heart of people. Carlton, what are you trying to tell us, sir? I don't really, I don't think I quite understand. You were attracted to the hearts of people. What does that mean, sir? So he goes on to clarify that he had dated uh, men with good hearts and also women with good hearts. In the era that I was raised in, there would have been a very specific term for a man who dates both men and women. But in the year of our Lord, 2020, we just say that this is this man is fluid. Carlton is very conflicted about how to tell Diamond about his his loving of hearts. In his past, he has told people about his attraction to hearts and Some of those people have rejected him. Like, okay, you know what, bruh? This is your truth. 
all right, that's who you are. You just got to be honest about that shit up front. And I know that in this process, everything is very accelerated. Like they're only in these pod conversations for a maximum of 10 days before they have to get engaged and then move forward with people. But I'm like, y'all sitting in these pods talking nonstop about only God knows what. At some point, you got to bring up, I like the hearts of men and women. Give somebody a chance to love all of you, not just the comfortable parts of you that that you like to present. I want you when you fall in love with me to to know who I am and what you're falling in love with. Don't take me in pieces. Take me all. It seems very easy to say. Very, very hard to do. I know that it's hard to tell people things that you are afraid will cause them to reject you. Carlton, despite his struggle, moves forward and he proposes to Diamond. The next phase after they meet, they go on vacation to this hotel in Mexico. Kind of like a first date, but on vacation. So the first night there, he acts an ass. And she was just like, wait, something's up. You've been acting entirely different than how I knew you to be when we spent all these hours talking. Something's going on. He denies, denies, denies. And finally, he's like, okay. They go out by the pool. He tells her, you know, I've told people these things before and everyone always abandons me. If you've ever watched, which I'm sure you have, what's love got to do with it? Wasn't that the line that Ike told Anime in order to get her to put up with his shit? I want to remember there's a scene where like her mom or her sister or somebody was like, this sounds crazy. Like what you're dealing with is crazy. And she was like, yes, but everyone always abandons him. And so when Carlton says it to Diamond, I was like, oh, he's grooming her to accept this. So he tells her, I've dated men and women. Her eyes bug out first, but then she fixes her face. Doesn't like pull a full flip out. Instead, he flips out. They have this exchange. Ends up sitting on the pool chair with his back towards her. He takes his hat off and he like violently throws it into the distance. She ends up reaching out to console him. And I'm like, how you just told somebody I've been lying to you about a core part of who I am because I was afraid of rejection, but still somehow she ends up comforting you as opposed to you comforting the person who just found out she got lied to. So I'm trying to rock with bruh to be like, this is difficult for you. You're handling it the best way you know how, even though this probably ain't the best way. It's also not lost on me that this is a show that is being taped and is heavily produced and that producers probably have some role in the timing of when Diamond is told. I was on a reality show. There's all sorts of shenanigans that go into creating the highest level of conflict. Diamond says that she needs to go. She sleeps alone. He sleeps elsewhere. They reunite the next day by the pool to finish this conversation. Diamond's had a chance to think and she's like, hey, bruh, I have I have many questions about the information you shared with me last night. Dude flips on her. She doesn't raise her voice. She's she's trying to ask questions and he's like dismissive. He's like, well, nobody else has ever had a problem with it, which isn't true based on things that he said prior Then he starts centering his own feelings like it's just a shit show. He's like, oh, you're showing your true colors. And I'm just like, you just dropped a bomb on this lady like the night before she came to you without the bass in her voice trying to discuss it. And he just has the equivalent of an adult temper tantrum. He raises his voice at her. She takes her ring off and was like, this is over. That just makes him even more mad. He ends up throwing the ring. He says something like, that's why I don't fuck with bitches like you. Nigga. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. It was completely unhinged. After the man calls her a bitch, like she was just like, are you, are you really calling me a bitch in my face? It took her long past when I think the average person would go off on him before she really went off. And then when she went off, it was to quote Beyonce lyrics. All things considered, she kept it pretty classy to the end. So I write my thoughts on Carlton on my Instagram and Facebook page. And I say that he is, he gaslit this woman. I say that he manipulated this woman. 
I say that I understand his pain and his fear. I, I get it. But I still say that, like, he went full narcissist. And I was mindful of how I spoke about him only because, like, two weeks prior, I write this fluffy post about fawning over the guys I see at this party. And two of them actually respond to me. And I was like, yo, when I say stuff, it has legs. So I'm mindful of how I speak about this man. One, because I'm really not trying to get cursed out on the Internet. But two, I'm mindful that he may see it and been on a reality show on the show for many I was seen as a villain. Some people thought I was like the second coming of sliced bread, but that was real 50-50. It was like, oh my God, I love Demetria. Or, oh my God, fuck that bitch. It stayed that way till this day. The tide has just started to turn again, where it's like, oh, sister Demetria, cousin Demetria, love Demetria. I was like, oh, this is new. I ain't felt this way since back in like early Bell and Brooklyn days. Like, oh, y'all like me again. All right. See how long this lasts. As expected, the post makes its way to him. Unexpected to me, I wake up this morning with a DM from Carlton. Like, can we talk? And because of how I've watched him on the show, I'm like, I really don't know if this man is about to curse me the full fuck out or if he really wants to speak on the humble. But, but seeing as how I just made a post about him on my pages, which reached like a good quarter million people, just built in without the forwarding and the sharing and the screenshotting and the stories and all that stuff. I was like, if he curses me out, then that's the L I take. Won't be the first or the last time, I'm sure. So sends me his number. Can you speak now? We can. He answers the phone. I'm like, hey, it's Demetria. He was like, hey, Demetria, I just wanted to reach out. And first things first, let me say, as a black man, I just want to apologize for the way that I treated Diamond. Oh, not where I thought the conversation was going to go. I asked him if we could speak off the record, candidly off the record. So in that vein, I will not share the details of what we talked about. I thought it was a fruitful conversation. I asked at the end of our conversation if I could share my thoughts, my general thoughts about what we spoke about. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. I thought some of the things that we discussed could be helpful to other people who find themselves in crises because what he's experiencing right now, the backlash from what's being aired is a crisis. He's feeling the weight of hundreds of thousands of people disproving of how he behaved, which was deplorable. His actions were deplorable. Let me not try to sugarcoat that, but he's feeling the weight of all those people's energy and he's seeing and reading those responses to him. I don't know if he is genuinely apologetic. He said he was. I am not a person who's big on words. Words are cute. Words are nice. They're great to hear. I like to see action. And I think that if he is genuinely apologetic, as he said he was, then going forward, we will see a change in his approach, a change in his disposition. I don't think it's the last time we will see him on a media platform. The show is currently on. The finale is coming up. I think this week I'd be shocked if he had no more interviews. There are thousands of people checking his social media pages. So we'll see how he moves going forward. That will determine to me whether he's truly apologetic. He has heard all of your criticisms. I mean, it's an international show. So he is fully aware of how people feel and where he got himself fucked up at. He's aware of that. And just to be clear, we had a conversation and in no way am I defending him. I don't defend anybody but my goddamn self. I ride for my mama. I'll take that L for her. Anybody else? You better figure out how to type. (laughs) Like, Like you better get a microphone or get on IG and go live, something. Like, I, I don't defend others. I'm just sharing with you an overview of parts of our conversation that I think are a lot of questions that people had and where it can be helpful to apply to the lives of others. He did apologize to Diamond. Diamond did an interview with People Magazine, and she said that they do have a speaking relationship, and he had apologized to her. I thought that was good to hear. We spoke about... How everyone fucks up on life's journey. I've certainly had 
a couple public, many private, where I have disappointed myself, where I have fallen short, where I've just done some dumb shit. Most of it I knew better than to do, and I did that shit anyway. Because I've been in that place where, justified or not, like it just feels like the world is pressing down on you, it's a really scary feeling to have. Just the wave of negativity coming towards you. It makes some people do and think crazy things. I did remind him that everyone fucks up on life's journey, and... You can come back from anything. My favorite quote, I didn't quote this to him, but I'll quote it to you. One of my favorite quotes is from Mama Saint on Snowfall. I have it written right at eye level above my desk. It says, there is grace for those that seek it. It's in the final episode of season three. Apologies are okay. Action is better. It's a similar conversation that everyone who has been in center of a storm, warranted or unwarranted, but especially when it's warranted, I imagine if they have someone who has any sense, they tell them, apologize, listen, do better, and move on. And the people who are actually able to move on are the people who are rare, who follow the instruction. A lot of people just want to move on without the apology or the listening or the doing better. That's not how it works. There are people who like to buckle down on the wrong and then move on. That's not how it works. Terry Crews come to mind. He went and did that wild shit in the interview and threw Gabby under the bus. And then he came back and doubled down and was like more wild shit. And people just was more pissed. And then he came back and was like, oh, okay. So um, I, I'm sorry. And I've listened and I hear what you want from me. And going forward, I'm going to do better. And then after that, people moved on. Snoop. Gail. Snoop said wild shit about Gail. People said, Snoop, you can't say wild shit. Susan Rice is cursing on the internet. Snoop came back. He didn't double down. He tried to back off a little bit. He said, I didn't mean any violence. I don't believe in violence. We're nonviolent people. I'm just angry, sir. It's still a problem. I mean, and a lot of people were riding with Snoop, like just in fairness, a lot of people were on some fuck Gail. Snoop came back and was like, so I talked to my mom and uh, I'm sorry. I I heard what y'all said and, um, you know, I had a lot of emotions, a very fraught time and I'm going to do better because that's not the way to speak. Snoop is taking his ass right on to red table because there's no regular Oprah anymore. People go talk to Jada Pinkett Smith and the family, Gammy. They ain't have Willow after T.I. and his, his shenanigans, but Willow is sitting at the table with Snoop. And in the clips, Willow looks ready to go. I think she's going to do more than nod and say, yeah, I think, I think Willow is coming with some ammo this time. But Snoop trying to clean his shit up. Like he was, a lot of people were riding with him, but a lot of people in some places he might want to go wasn't. For Carlton, we had a nice conversation. And... He expressed apology. He acknowledged wrongdoing. I will believe it when I see it in his actions, which I think is fair to him and fair to everyone else. You see people fuck up. We've all fallen short. Those of us who do better deserve forgiveness. I want to be forgiven when I fuck up. I hope that he is indeed not a narcissist because those those just some incapable of change people. They don't want to be saved. I hope that when he publicly apologizes, I hope that when he takes accountability and he does better, I do hope that he can move on and people will allow him to move on to a a better, better behaved chapter in his life. That's all you can really hope for people. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for tuning in to Ratchet and Respectable. I should be back next week. I hope so. I think so. I'll let you know. Follow me on social media. Thank you, as always, for listening. I do appreciate you and your patience while I, like, figure out my writer shit. If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life, in between episodes, you can always catch me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. And in the meantime, we will talk. And soon. Okay? Bye.
Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.